Welcome back to Cock and Ball Pardon. We're going to look at all things Spurs from the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Fenn, the man in charge, but clinging on to power. And with me tonight is Tottenham's legacy fan number 2,486,556. It's Ash. Good evening, Tom. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, alongside him is one of Tottenham's day tripper fans, uh, number 2,486,556. It's Jules. Fuck you too, mate. I'm getting used to you saying that as soon as I introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have a man who, uh, who doesn't count because teams in the National League don't exist in our format. It's Jim. <laughs> Evening. How's your father? Kushti uh, Mush. Um, anyway, straight to it. League Cup final. We lost. Yeah, let's try and just talk about it. Um, <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening. <sighs> we go again. Anyway, let's try and deal with it slightly chron- chronologically as a day. So the biggest talking point was probably in the build-up to the game when the lineup was announced. That in particular, about a certain striker, certain striker, <laughs> namely Carlos Vinicius, not even making the bench. Ash. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, it was nice to see Harry Kane back in, though, wasn't it? In all seriousness, there was there was the fear from the start that it might be a repeat of the Champions League final where he was just clearly not fit, but. I suppose it was kind of true what Ryan Mason said where the difference was he was only out for a week and not for so long. So we had big we had big hopes of him and nobody else, which is why <laughs> I, I wasn't really too fussed about the rest of the game, if I'm being completely honest. I just wanted to see us give it a go, which we did for all of about 20 minutes in the second half. Was I the only person who thought uh, Winks starting over Ndombele was both Really, a really big decision and a really bad one. Yeah. <laughs> An unfortunate move from Ryan Mason six days into the job. I understood I the theory. I think he was scared of Ndombele losing the ball in midfield positions. And then that's not, it's not a good thing to do against City. They're quite, quite good at winning the ball out of the pitch and attacking in numbers. So I get the theory. I think the theory was <laughs> so he also... Thought the solu- so you thought the solution to that was Harry Winks? Uh, in theory, <laughs> it's an occupational hazard, is, though, isn't it? When you don't have, yeah. when you don't have any confidence in your players. <laughs> I wasn't surprised that he didn't start him because it was clearly a game he didn't want to take any risks. It's the same reason why Bale didn't start. We know what qualities they bring. It's what they lack in terms of their tracking back, and uh, they can just switch off for a moment and let a runner just walk past him. So it, it wasn't a shock, but it's just the fact that he didn't come on at all. Ndombele just sat on the bench the whole way through in a game where we struggled to progress the ball up the pitch. Just, I, I don't know what I don't know what I need to say to our future manager. Just watch, it... just watch him play for fuck's sake. You can see how good he is. <laughs> Am I the only one though who thinks it's both? It's so Spursy, but so sad that we managed to buy for sixty-five million quid our record ever signing, probably Europe's best young midfielder at taking the ball under pressure. And being able to play through a press on the back of him playing twice magnificently against Man City for Leon. <laughs> and we sign him for our record fee and then we don't fucking play him against Man City. I don't know why we're having a meltdown because we all went into the game not expecting to win and we didn't. So I don't really understand why it's been a complete and utter collapse, particularly on Twitter. It's a bit shambolic on there at the moment. I've been trying my best to avoid it, which is uh, worrying because I have to promote this podcast on Twitter. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not a nice atmosphere at the moment. 
Has anyone else muted the word bottlers or bottle? Because how does how does little old Tottenham turn up in a cup final against Manchester City and their half a billion pound just defence? How are we the bottlers? Those take sort of takes, which are mainly on Twitter, let's be honest. Mm. I just had to I just couldn't I couldn't get through. I know Jim, even as someone who didn't watch the game, I think you can probably even agree that that sort of bullshit lazy commentary just has no place in the game anymore, surely. Yeah, um, for context, uh, I didn't watch because I was too busy having uh, alcohol on the beach uh, in Whitstable, and I had a great time, so I have no regrets at all. Um, I did sort of think when you were saying it then, I was kind of conflicted, because on one hand, it's uh, yeah, absolutely right, like, of course City should have won this game, and it's, it's only right that they did, given how rich they are and how much quality they've got. Um, I guess the flip side is, if you want to be an ambitious club, and the frustration is that you can't, you've not won trophies for so long, not won, not won a trophy um, since 2008, and you want to change that, then you, you can't really, in good faith, play the little old Tottenham card. But I don't think, in this context, anyone, whether you're like Barcelona, Juventus, anyone that loses against City isn't disgracing themselves because of the quality they've got and I, I don't know it's just it's a thing that football fans do all the time like every every club does it we we, we feel like we should uh, we should compete in ways that maybe we probably shouldn't but we have a similar thing in my work Fen you mentioned at, at the top about oh that thing that we didn't think would happen didn't happen <laughs> sometimes we have that in news where uh, like I can't think of an example that won't get me in trouble, but like, uh, <laughs> um, you know, like if, if the government says something is unlikely to happen or nobody expects, you know, like a COVID restriction, say nobody expects it to happen on time and then it doesn't happen on time. We always have this thing about, well, what's the fuss? Like nobody knew it was going to happen. Just it's get not news, it. is it? It's you wouldn't news. broadcast that as um, news. Exactly. And you think City win a game of football. Yeah, City win another League Cup, the fourth in the row. Yeah, Spurs lose League Cup final isn't, you know, it's not the end of the world, is it? But I guess the maybe the the way to look at it is it's obviously disappointing to lose, but be slightly positive about the fact a it wasn't the six nil that we were saying it could be on the last pod. <laughs> From the sounds of it, Spurs didn't execute the game very well and still only lost one nil and. One of the two big problems that Spurs have or have had has gone. So maybe next season things will be, <laughs> you know. It's funny though, isn't it? City moan, do enough moaning about the League Cup, about how it shouldn't be a thing and it's a fi- uh, fixture pileup and all the rest of it. But they celebrated that as if it was the Champions League, I thought. It was, it was quite weird. City are literally at that, are at the point of like football manager where you're like 15 years in and you've almost like got a cheat, go, cheat code to the game. Yeah. And you're just like holidaying through like patches of the season because the computer can just deport <laughs> you. Like they're at that stage just in real life. Like is Pep Guardiola even really there or is he just like hologram at this point? Like, do you know what I mean? But like He's just sat in his office thinking of obscure sentences. <laughs> what he can say just to throw the reporters off next time. I like how he, did you know, a couple of weeks ago he came out with that he, he can't read more than a week into the future. And everyone was just like, he's honestly bloody hell Pat what are next yeah. week's lottery numbers mate <laughs> it's, it's thing. He's like, he's we're so not all Yuri Keller 
I anticipated in my head that what you were all hoping for, if if not a victory, was that Spurs would play with the kind of in inverted commas freedom and the Spurs way and all that sort of thing, and it didn't. It didn't happen. How disappointing was it? It was a bit of a sucker punch, wasn't it? We had the, especially after that second half of Southampton, where we thought, you know, maybe we're going to be pressing teams a bit more, going to be trying to play in the opposite opposition half. But then also it's Manchester City. And we, we've we beaten them this season. And the way we beat them was by mm. sitting back and trying to counter with a bit of class and a bit of quality. So it's hard to argue against taking that tactic, all things considered. So, to give, yeah. to, give you an, to give you an idea, Jim, <laughs> their strikers were Foden and De Bruyne, who just played <laughs> at, at 10. So they often had about six players in and around those central areas. And our system seemed to basically say force them to funnel it wide so they mm. had to play it to the fullbacks they couldn't go in but then because no one tracked the fullbacks the fullbacks just five yards up the pitch and were like all right then <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was yeah. weird i think there's i think ash's point um i remember um andy roddick once said about federer uh, a journalist gave him a slightly sort of stupid question at the press conference after he had been absolutely battered in a grand slam final and said like Oh, did you not have a plan? How do you feel? (laughs) Did you you not have a plan? And Roddick, who's known for being pretty good fun at press conferences, said, um, like, well, you have a plan for, like, oh, what if he starts to get on a roll or or, what if you get broken? He was like, you don't really have a plan for when you're six, two, six, love, four, love down. Like, you don't don't planning to get absolutely battered. Yeah, you need luck if you want to beat a team like that. We talked about how Leeds managed to beat them. And there were elements of luck to that. They they found good breaks. They took their chances when they had them. I think they were the only two chances Leeds had. We never really had those sorts of chances. And I think that was kind of epitomised by some of the, the refereeing decisions, particularly in the first half. We know that when you play City, they press high. They stop counter-attacks by fouling in their opponent's half. And you expect that from them. But there were... Some points where you've got to say to a referee, even though it's in a League Cup final, you need to put your mark on a game, no matter who it is, no matter what time the challenge happens. I don't know if the events get you uh, as a referee. I don't know. I'm not one. I've never spoken to or asked a referee about it. It wasn't exactly an intimidating atmosphere in front of you know <laughs> 2,000 actual fans. <laughs> Bearing in mind, half the stadium, and they literally cut it in half, long ways was empty this tv camera didn't show it and i think i don't i don't know it it, it was his refereeing decisions were inconsistent and that, that bothers me and yeah. the laporte situation yeah uber laporte as they'd say in france jules um <laughs> he he was this this sticking point throughout the whole game and i don't know how you all feel about it just for the sake of balance before i go on a bit of a tirade Uh, the referee wasn't just shit to us he was just it was a poor performance there were fouls that should have been yellow cards that weren't given and then there were just fouls that weren't given as free fouls at all so just before Aurier gave away the stupid free kick in the second half from which they scored Kyle Walker did literally the same thing to Reguilon in their corner referee didn't give a single thing so it's that, like you mentioned, there's that inconsistency. But the thing is with Laporte's as well is that it was stone. The first yellow card, well, 
yellow card that wasn't given was just Stonewall. I think there is an element of the referee, because it was quite early on, there is the element of let the game run. Don't want to ruin the game by giving an early red card. And then there's also what Ryan Mason said afterwards, where if Laporte does get that first yellow, does he make the same foul for the second one? But it puts him on alert. And had we had we tried to exploit that in the right way with the players like Lucas who can run at men and not do much else to be fair, but he can run at men. <laughs> that's that's it's, a bit of it's, gut punch as well. It's the fine margins that you need to go your way if you're gonna get something against City. Because if you're only gonna have realistically in a match, I don't know, six times where one of your attacking players beats the press and runs at a centre back, if a yellow card isn't given for a clear yellow opportunity, that's a huge loss when you're playing a team like City. You don't get enough chances. We need someone that's going to come in and who has got the ability to tell the lads to put everything else behind them, just start afresh, because that's that's where we're at at the moment. We've got enough fresh players in there and, and new faces in there. to Theoretically, we should be able to do that. And we've got we've got a couple of lads coming back that will be young and hungry in, in Skip and Sessegnon that can hopefully help push the team forward and... Who knows if Enik actually showed the fans that they give a shit and might buy a few players. Oh, we could lose another League Cup final in a year's time. It'd be <laughs> yeah. great. It's, an, it's another opportunity. The Law of Averages says we have to win one at That's some not- <laughs> <laughs> We haven't even scored a goal in a League Cup final since the, I think the last one we won. It was like any final. That's shocking, isn't it? That's it was like it. Four, I remember, four or five games. I, I don't want to keep talking about the Champions League final because I'll give myself some sort of deep, deep depression. But <laughs> I remember going into that game and thinking, all I want is a goal. I meant, like, I didn't want to get this far yeah. and not see us at least score one goal. And I had the same sort of feeling with this game. It's like, we're in a final again. It's City. We're going to lose. But can we please just score a goal? Do you, do you think, Jim, um, you mentioned earlier about, like, are we disappointed because we didn't play sort of, you know, as you put it, the Tottenham way, or we just didn't really have a go? I feel like quite often we're getting to finals in the last maybe six, seven years or semi-finals and players hit their ceilings. Like the, the, the guys who actually performed the best for us in this game were the players who, frankly, I have the least expectation of. Like <laughs> Aurier had a good game Until and Dyer had a decent game. Yeah. But the players Old who seemed... Yeah, and the players who seem to seem to struggle are the players who... We kind of hope that they can they can pull it off against the biggest opponents, and then they seem to just either clam up or or maybe that's their natural ceiling, and they just can't quite break past it. But yeah, maybe maybe it's a troubling point for us. Yeah, um, I guess the squad profile is interesting at Spurs, isn't it? I, I think it's uh, as a product of uh, not investing under the last two managers properly. Uh, it's a squad that's relatively unbalanced, and I actually thought to Jose Mourinho's credit last summer some of the uh, some of the, what's the word I'm looking for some of the incoming transfers were actually uh, quite shrewd they weren't necessarily big names apart from Gareth Bale but like uh, Doherty, Reguillon, Hoybier are three three examples I think of players that are uh, you're looking at them as, as uh, players with potential to step up rather than being at the uh, the pinnacle of the game already you know the likes of Southampton are good sides and can produce good players, but they're not. You know you're not you're not going to get a Champions League winner ready made at that level. 
Uh, and as a recruitment strategy, I think that kind of made sense, particularly last year with, with the finances as they are. But it's it's a, an interesting point to consider whether those players, having moved from clubs where they're not necessarily expected to win ev- everything or, or, or anything, uh, are suddenly finding themselves in a, a new environment where they're not quite top-tier sides that do win things, but they're at a supposedly ambitious club that has the aspiration to win things and the expectation to win things every week, even if that isn't necessarily matched by their talent. Um, <laughs> and it's that I don't mean that in a sort of shady way. It's just that you could that there's a there's a chance that they get caught in the trap between the two. Um, and I think the recruitment for whoever the next manager has to be. Mm. Uh, needs to marry up the, the good things of, of that. I think it's 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 good to buy players that have growth potential and aren't necessarily your superstars. But maybe they need to look at a profile of player that that either has already won things, or at least comes from an environment, a club that is has that winning culture and actually wins trophies. And Fen, what did you think of the? kind of second half Ash mentions we came into it a bit more and, and start feeling a bit more positive did you start inching forward on on your sofa start thinking once once got to like 75 minutes in and they still hadn't scored you just start to think is this going to be that free day <laughs> yeah I did start to believe until he started making substitutions and then I started to see that well, this no where's, where's his goal coming from we can no longer move the ball at the pits like, like we've already discussed. And I think it showed Mason's naivety. I mean, there was that horrible stat on Sky Sports. It's got viral look compared his managerial career to Pep Guardiola's. Now, we, we all know and have heard of Pep Guardiola. <laughs> we know that he's, you know, he's quite good. And this was his 25th major trophy. And comparing it to, uh, uh, including today's game, Mason has managed two games. <laughs> like, what was the point of the statistic? But it, it completely showed that, that you know, you've thrown him right at the deep end, given him a cut final on his second outing. And you could tell he was obviously <laughs> well out of his depth. I did feel sorry for him, but. No, I think you touched there on the. There was a thing there about, I suppose, we just felt, <laughs> felt like we brought a water pistol to a gunfight. Like, like they mm. had such an experienced manager in there and think of some of the best managers we've had they have cut their teeth elsewhere and learned things elsewhere before they've taken over and you know it's no it's obviously not mason's fault this is a complete free free hit mm-hmm. for him isn't it like you know he's <laughs> he's been in charge a week um but i do think someone who's got a bit of experience in some of these moments yeah like i think the Suzoko for uh the celso switch epitomized for me it was like that's that's the safe decision as the uh, as the kind of manager who's just wants to not be blamed for it afterwards, but it swung the game completely in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, it's it a substitution you'd make in a in a league game, wouldn't it? You're hanging on to the draw, but like thinking, fucking hell, hang on here, you need to be bringing on attackers because you're in the last ten minutes of a cup final. Ashley's brother was on last week. Chris is uh, very welcome guest. Uh, he did say that he probably would have started Sizoko. Now, is this something else that you've you've mentioned to him, uh, and will you like you know spray paint it on the side of his house or something? Because yeah, yeah. In hindsight, being twenty twenty vision, I it, think it's a bit silly. Well, in fairness to him, he he didn't say he would start Sissoko, Hoybier, Ed Winks. So having those three, 
all on the pitch at the same time is a fucking ludicrous decision. Let's be let's be honest. None of them were going forwards. None of them were progressing the ball forwards. None of them were marking their man, and none of them really were making tackles. <laughs> they were just free passages in the middle of the park for the majority of the time they were on the pitch. Uh, Hoiberg aside, maybe he he, he gets about. Hoiberg did well, I think. Uh, but it's hard. It's, play well, I, yeah, it? maybe I'm being harsh on him, but when he's the only central midfielder who tries, he really stands out when he doesn't make the tackles. You want someone in Winks's position to either be turning up the pitch and breaking up some sort of creating some sort of attacking transition, or just moving it well to in a in a different way and. I think I think Winks those. For that. I think those two, unfortunately, they were kind of what cost us the game. Was mm. Winks starting, just meant zero progression. On the rare occasions, the centre backs managed to play it into a centre mid's feet. Winks would pick up the ball and turn around and pass it back to them, and they're like, "Don't give it back to me! It's fucking hot potato." This. The worst. Like, I've, just, I've just got it out of this area of the pitch. Like the, the worst, the worst thing about Winks is I mentioned it earlier about how good the City players were at creating triangles all over the pitch and moving it quickly through multiple triangles. Um, Winks just gave us no hope of doing that because whenever <laughs> one of our centre backs or full backs had the ball, he would run towards them, but he would run behind the defender that was pressing the guy on the ball so he was literally just running into a position where he could not get the ball and it was infuriating time and time again it was like he was imitating the two midfielders or aspects of two central midfielders at Spurs that you don't want to actually imitate he's obviously spent so much time watching Hoybier and Suzoko play ahead of him this season <laughs> and he thought oh right uh, Hoybier breaks up the play and uh, just passes it sideways so I'm going to do that all the fucking time and then when he's not on the ball he's going to do what Suzoko always does which is in inverted commas take a player out of the game by standing behind an opponent I'm sure there was a moment where Kane had the ball and Sissoko was near him unmarked and Kane oh, just that. ignores him. Yeah, he went, no, no, fuck it. I'm going to take these three men on on my own. <laughs> That's a safer option. It was so bad. But on the back of that performance, we I think we saw Dyer and Aldevera put in two of their better performances in a game where probably they were tested the most as well. Is centre mid the position that we need to focus on most in the summer transfer window, do you reckon, Jules? I would say yes. Because I just don't think I, I don't think Winks or Suzoko would start for any team apart from maybe West Brom in the division. I don't think they're getting ahead of Johnny Fleck at, at Sheffield. Jesus, Van der Berg. Is that is that? I mean, am I being am I being unfair? A, a bit. I don't think they either of them get into the teams getting promoted from the Championship, let alone the teams already in the Premier League. Now that is too far. Oh, come on. Even if I'm better than Skip coming back from Norwich. Uh, I, 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 I agree with your point, though, that I think they are, at the moment, the biggest drop in quality. And Jim mentioned the imbalanced squad. And I think that area of the pitch really feels like it needs a, needs, needs a refresh. And doesn't help when you buy a 65 million pound centre mid and he then doesn't play funny you say yeah. that I'll, leave, I'll all leave it to tom to this, but just before oh. um there was an article come out today i think he was on football london which pretty much said um all the science um all the sports science is showing that tottenham are suffering from a lack of fitness both physically and and mentally so the, the stats are there to show it that yeah we've dropped off after Mourinho's come in but we've seen Fit Winks and Suzuka. We know that's not much better either. 
So <laughs> there's there's a degree of quality that that vastly needs improving. There's that needs to be a high turnover of, of players. All the best winning teams have a high turnover every three to four years. You know, Ferguson did it very well. Perhaps managed it well. Perhaps Liverpool haven't managed it so well, which is why they've dropped off this season. I slightly disagree that it's about high turnover. I think it's about consistent turnover. Like United, Not high turnover constantly. Yeah, like <laughs> United didn't sign like five or six under Ferguson every year. But what they did do is every summer they would have a at least one signing that improved them. And it's In like which- that. That, yeah. And in which case, Fenn's point is is sort of yeah. substantial because no, totally, if you if invested, <laughs> if you don't do anything for two years, I suppose Fenn, then you've back you've got got a backlog of well, these two should have gone two years ago, and these two yeah. a year ago, and these two need to go this year. So suddenly you need to shift six or eight players out if you could. Yeah, and look at the market now. Who's going to be coming in for a 30, 31 year old Suzuko? And obviously, we're never going to get anywhere near the thirty mil we paid for him. Would I accept 10? Yes. Is anyone stupid enough to pay that? I don't think so. But Spurs definitely need to do an Arsenal, as in January Arsenal, where they just cut their losses on some of their dead wood. Um, yeah. Like the, yeah. I know the money isn't necessarily there, and I suspect Levy might plead poverty over the Super League thing and the pandemic and everything, but... Yeah, the likes of Sissoko. If you want rid of them, you're not going to get you're not you're not going to get what you want, and you're not even going to get market value. No. You're just going to have to take a hit and say, yeah. "Okay, we're not going to get a huge fee, but we're at least we're taking just, somebody off the wage bill." It's the same. Sissoko isn't like a used car that you can sell for parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can. It's just not legal. <laughs> He's got quite strong quads. So give yeah. you his quads. How, how good are his quid, his kidneys? Can we get him in a nice bar? <laughs> Gedson's already gone. He was with us at the start of the season. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Vinic- Vinicius can't make the bench as the only alternative striker. Lamella's got one year on his deal. Sizoko, enough said. <laughs> Deli Ali or Bergvine, respectively, both are flattered to deceive. I feel like one has probably got to go elsewhere. <laughs> I can't believe he's still with us, technically, but Danny Rose is still listed at the club as is Juan Foyth, as is Gazaniga, and as is Jack Clark, who cost us £10 million. That's nine players who, at the moment, wouldn't get into the first 22. Son is shattered. We can't keep playing him left wing and then up front at the same time when Kane's not there. We, and, yeah, you mentioned Delhi and Bergwijn, and I feel like we can get more out of Bergwijn. I feel like the boat has sailed for Delhi. Yeah, the, the the thing as well that is going to dictate the entire uh, transfer policy is whether Harry Kane is still there or not. Because yeah. that, that is just a dynamic changer, not only in terms of what, how you need to rebuild a, a, an entire squad, but how much money there is to do it. So, mm. yeah, had but it not been off the money. Yeah, had it not been off the back of two seasons of COVID and there being a hot new striker called Harland, I don't know if you've heard about him, um, <laughs> that everyone seems to be interested in, then I would be confident that Harry would be off. I just can't see people uh, being able to afford him this year, knowing what Daniel Levy's like and the fact that he's probably... When when they pick up the phone, he's probably quoting a world record fee. Probably. Um, There's there's that that question, though, isn't there, that um, 
he's probably at peak value now. Yeah. It's only going to go down from here, I think, because of, just because of his age. I think I can summarise our what we need in our transfer policy and what we don't need in, in two comparisons. So we, <laughs> we sold on a fairly cheap deal Luke Amos, you might remember, um, do. down into the championship, who was a, a nice sort of decent young centre-mid from the academy, but didn't look like he was quite there. And we bought Tongi and Dombele instead. Now, Tongi might not feature in the cup final, but for me, that's, that's the right move of going big on big talent rather than fucking around. The stupid move is selling Carl Walker-Peters and at the exact same <laughs> price, buying Doherty, who's yeah. eight years older than him, when they're basically the same level player. Yeah, I think what we need to see in a transfer window now is patience, because we're not going to get the sort of uh, numbers in to overhaul the side. And because uh, because of the two years we didn't buy anyone in, we're, we're behind still. We need to play catch up. That's the thing. I think this is the good opportunity. If the market's not going to move about as much as we need it to, then this is a good opportunity to literally hit reset and the whole point of Pochettino coming in was to start a project and ultimately that project lasted for five years and then he sacked him off and bought him Mourinho, who was the polar opposite. <laughs> so everything you've done before is completely disregarded and part of the reason why you know, Phil Foden is so successful and obviously why Pep is so successful is because it's not just the way that Pep manages the first team, it's, it's a culture that's endemic throughout the club at all levels. So Phil Foden you know, for the last five years would have only been trained in that type of football because he's going to be coming into that culture in the first team. And that's the way that they develop players. And that is the culture that, you know, you can see, you can see Ryan Mason has obviously bought into that and was a good fit for the academy. But he, he was just feeding players into a system where they weren't expected to run. They were just kind of expected to sort of shuffle about sideways. <laughs> and we've taken a massive risk with Jose. It was a, turns out to be a massive backward step now. We can say that easily with hindsight. We need to hit reset. We need to bring in a coach that will bring us back to that culture. But we have to be patient. We have to understand that it won't bear an East fall fruit for another two or three years. But the sad thing is, I look at the managers who are available and I can't, I can't pick one that is the right fit for us, unfortunately. That's realistically going to be available. I think he could do worse than um, Julian Stefan, who left Rennes last summer. There's a lot of talk now of um, Ten Hag from Ajax as well, who's probably it would be a, be a backwards step for him, arguably, but he's probably it's probably attainable. He would yeah, be a look at Frank signing if you could if you could get Ten Hag in, that would be a brilliant move. But I think he What's might better, be out Jules? Is it Ten Hag or Eleven Hag? What what would be better? <laughs> I think ten hard because ten's my favourite number, mate. And I, I, and I'm a numbers man. So there you go. You, you can hear it, hear it from <laughs> hear it from the man himself. But no, I think the the obvious choice who I I feel like will end up getting that Ralph Hasenhut has been over there the whole time in the corner. And yeah, going to go around to Land Rover and to Porsche and kick a few tires, but we'll end up at Ford with an escort. Hasenhut <laughs> uh, was an interesting one because. Six months ago, I thought he was probably a shoe-in for the Spurs job, but he's got his detractors now at, mm. at Saints as well. It's not quite gone to plan this year, so I wonder whether maybe 
this season counts against him a bit. But, but he lost some key players as well. Southampton yeah, are a team that like they need those big players to. It's, give I've not upset. seen it. I've not seen it with another manager quite as much as him. The way they blow hot and cold in quite big patches for a, for a mid-table team to go through those sort of ups and downs just seems a bit. Is that something that would put me off? Is that not though just ultimately what happens when you stick to a really like stylistic approach to football where you say this is where we're going to play regardless and the quality of your players is quite inconsistent. It's so certainly then, why they got the nine nils. Yeah, but this but is... I'm, bit... I'm not sure it's why you go 10 games without a win. I think <laughs> that's, that's something a... else. So that's a very valid point. Um, <laughs> but... See what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess coming back to Fenn's point, like we've got to buy into something here for player development to build and, and recognise the stage we're at. I think you look at the way he's improved players like Vestergaard, Begnarak, Carl Walker-Peters, the way he took someone like Ward-Prowse and turned him into, who was a good winger but was a bit of a weird hybrid and turned him into a great centre-mid. What he can do in terms of developing players, I think it's more important this next coach develops your Ryan Sessegnons, your Skips, your, um, yeah, you know, these kind of players through and turns Reggion into the fullback he could be rather than you know, tries to worry too much about a League Cup. <laughs> yeah, there's that favourite saying, it's a shame that you don't know you're in the good times when you're in the good times. So, Tom, what would you what would you tell yourself back in, like, peak potch? I don't know. Maybe just to cry after every game <laughs> because it, it, you know it doesn't get better, which maybe that's worse. <laughs> no, what's, that feeling of foreboding would take away the ecstasy of being... I've beaten in the final season of the lane. I was reading something the other day about uh, Abar in Spain that I've banged on about a few times, a little club in La Liga that have been punching above their weight for six years. And uh, they're going to... Yeah, they're going to go down this year at long last. They're, they're going to get relegated because they're just not good enough. I think their manager was saying every year we've kind of lived this dream where they've stayed up. I think they've never finished lower than 14th, which is like insane. This is a club that gets like 4,000 at home games. And so there was always this sense that you have to enjoy it because in the end, it's inevitable. They're going to be relegated. It's just a matter of when. Uh, and they've kind of done it for six years. And now their time, now that they are going down, they, they're a bit more relaxed about it, a bit more serene because they always knew it was coming at some point and they've kind of enjoyed it for what it was. I don't know, maybe there's a bit of a lesson in, in there. It, it strikes me that the next coach as well for Spurs should be not only somebody that develops players, like Jules was saying, but also a coach that is wanting to develop something, which is maybe why, why somebody like Hasenhutl would be a good choice, because because you need that three or four years and it's going to be it's not going to be instant success. I think it would be quite beneficial to have a coach that isn't set in their ways and is willing to kind of learn on the job if you like amen mm, that's what i'd remind any spurs fan who might listen to this all all three of them um <laughs> there's a lot of impatience out there that's how i get it there's a lot of frustration in football about needing glory now um but if we're all about echoes of glory then it needs to be patient we can blame levy all we want for not investing in this squad. Obviously, the money has been there. You look at the numbers of our players that we've signed in terms of their values, 
Uh, the, the investment has been there in fairness. It's just been a bit mm-hmm. ill-placed. So we, we're too far gone to be able to fix this team in a transfer window. The summer is not going to be enough. This has to be a new dawn. I think this league final was a bit of a wake-up call for me. It's been a, it's, it should be used as a catalyst for change. That If we want to get back to what the sort of project that Potts was building then we do have to hit a bit of a reset. We have to swallow our pride a bit, uh, but it will take time and it, it won't be instant. And even like you said, Jim, when you refresh teams the way Ferguson used to refresh them, you might only buy one or two marquee names, but you always had quiet players coming through in the, in the background and you think, oh, fucking hell, suddenly Johnny Evans and John O'Shea are actually quite good players to have in the squad. Small yeah. squad players like that as well, but yeah, you know, the recruitment is a big thing. It's it's a massive issue at this club, and it has been for a long time. I'll say one thing, which is just that it's darkest before the dawn. My, my expectations <laughs> are lowest they've been in in honestly as long as I can remember being a Spurs fan. I think this is the I'm I, I head into the the 2022 season with the lowest expectations since Martin Yole. Sunk it's a cliche, guys. We've sunk all the way down to cliches. <laughs> we, we have literally reached the start. <laughs> we have nothing left. Well, at least, Jules, as, uh, <laughs> as the dawn is coming, as you so eloquently put it, then the last <laughs> six games or so can, uh, can only just uh, be a bit of a laugh as the day breaks. Uh, and speaking of laughs, we've now got to go and play a relegated team. She's always foreboding, but we've got Sheffield United on Sunday. Just quickly, Ash, what do you think is going to happen? Do you guys remember the 5-1 against Newcastle? I was hoping you wouldn't mention that. <laughs> yeah, that's why that, that's going to happen. <laughs> I hope you, would, you also wouldn't mention that Sheffield United beat Brighton at the weekend. They did, for fucking did. no reason whatsoever. Pressure's off now. Yeah, I can't see us not conceding. I'm, I'm going to go with 3-1 Spurs. Come on. one all. And it'll be like Lamella gets a goal. Wow. Sickening. Brutal. Jim. 3 0 Spurs. Easiest game of the season. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Jim. It's um, like Defensively, we look good against City. So uh, that, that was a positive to take from the Cup final. And uh, Mason's a fairly exciting young lad. Uh, he's <laughs> chipper. So, I mean, he's the same fucking age as us, just about. So. <laughs> right, fucking stop now. <laughs> this goes to show you that you haven't achieved everything you thought you'd achieved as you dreamed as a child, eh? Don't dream it's over, this crowded house once sang. And on that cheery note, see you next time.